Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Can working on film still be a dream job after the director throws a chair at you? Does that one guy everyone talks bad about still deserve a second chance? Production designer Courtney Johnson joins the podcast to share her experiences in the film industry. We also talk about why so many people aspire to work in movies and how what you value in life can change as you grow. A reminder that if you like this podcast, the best way to help it grow is to share with a friend. And I heard a rumor that if you share with two friends, you all get a special cameo in the next Spider-Man movie. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the show, Courtney. It's great to have you. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me. So you're a production and costume designer. What does all that entail on any given project? Can you describe the process a little bit? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I feel like production design is termed the invisible art and or the thankless craft. So I'm really excited to be invited to talk about it with you, you know, seeing as it's not something that's thought of as a craft that people are uh, interested in in the world of cinema. Yeah, like I guess, you know, when the credits are rolling in a film or or TV show or whatever it might be, you see all these, you know, like there's a director and the actors and you pretty much anyone is like, okay, I know what they did. But then there is the list of stuff that you're like, okay, like that person worked on the movie. I wonder what their job entailed, you know? And so I guess when people see production designer or costume designer, Courtney Johnson, what is it that you did? I'll talk about costume design in a second. I feel like a lot of people know what costume design is, or at least think they know exactly what costume design is. But production design is that iffy one that I feel like is often, you know, it's given multiple names and titles historically too, because the title of production designer wasn't initially given until Gone with the Wind. And that production designer was given the name production designer because they felt they had actually designed the entire production. Whereas before that, it was just called art director. But to clarify, the production designer, their job is, uh, it's everything you see. Uh, It's everything the actors don't touch and everything the actors do touch, as well as the walls, the floors, the ceilings, the textures, the fabrics, the colors. Uh, It also goes into the post of things as well, especially today with visual effects, uh, motion graphics, graphic design. The color of the film should go hand in hand with production design. Uh, There's something called keyframes, which the production designer working and collaborating with the DP and director help to create the tone of the world of the movie. I talked with a sound designer uh, recently, and he was talking again about this idea 
you mentioned that production design is almost this invisible craft, right? And we talked about how, well, some sounds in a, he does video game sound design. Some sounds in video games are designed where they are kind of invisible. It's just things that you're not supposed to think about and other things are supposed to stand out. And so it sounds like the majority of what's in the production design is supposed to just feel cohesive with the movie and not really scream that there was a production designer involved making this stand out. I'm sure there's exceptions, but it sounds like when you mention how it's this invisible art to the film, it sounds like a lot of what you're trying to do is make it so intertwined with the film that it's it's not really screaming at you every frame of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so typically, yes, I feel like a lot of production designers have said, you know, I feel like I've done my job when you're watching a movie and you're not thinking about what you're looking at and what the design is. It's the, you know, background, it's the sets. But I personally have always loved design that does sort of scream, you know, look at me (laughs) in in the sense of, you know, there's these very highly stylized directors and that is completely their own style, like Wes Anderson and Sofia Coppola. You can't help but watch one of their films and, and see it, you know, but it's in a way that you, I don't know, you see it, but uh, again, maybe it's just, I've always been an extremely visual person. I just tend to notice a lot of colors and shapes and things more, I guess, than than most. So maybe I'll be watching a film and think, oh, I, I love this. It looks great. But maybe maybe others don't like notice the design, if that makes sense. But I think even people who don't notice or aren't looking for, you know, the hidden tricks or the design subtext, everyone should watch a movie and feel something. And I do think Rather than being the invisible craft, not noticing it, I like to think that production design can bring a subtext to what you're watching where you as the viewer feel something just because you're you're looking at something and you don't know why it's making you feel that way, but you can look at it and appreciate it and say, you know, you feel something or are moved by something or that is beautiful or, um, you know, it even trickles into, say fashion or uh, inspiration for other forms of media, you know, from movies, you go into commercials and marketing and branding and things like that. And how design can trans, you know, from say a movie that everyone loved, you will completely notice the design, even if you're not thinking you're noticing the design, you know, when set design, uh, like say, I'm trying to think if there's like a specific example, but uh there's so many. Well, right now, all the all the teens are wearing, you know, 90s things. There's this 90s aesthetic, Y2K aesthetic, which, you know, goes hand in hand with what's going on in the world. But also, I'd like to think that films and movies and nowadays, you know, TV shows uh, inspire those trends, things like that, where you might not notice that a d- certain aesthetic or design is um, inspiring you or you're being moved by it, but it translates into other forms of our real world and defines our, and that's no longer invisible. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when, when you're designing something or making decisions about the production design or even costume design here, are you taking a mood from what a director is telling you or 
are you shaping something based on what the characters in the script are saying for you? I guess, what's the starting point to getting to what you're talking about now? Because you're talking about what the audience feels at the end when they're viewing it. But what goes into making your design decisions in pre-production and production and post-production? The production, I used to pride myself on being a production designer that could take a script and a director's vision and and essentially help that director to complete their own vision and bring it to life, bring it to the screen, uh, no matter what style, what aesthetic, uh, just maybe being a, an empath. It almost feels like I can read minds when I talk to someone for a short amount of time. You know, when I get a script, I like to then read the script. I then like to have my own interpretation that I maybe put together pictures or some inspirational colors and pictures together of my own to show a director in an interview, say. But First, before I do too much, I like to ask the director for their brain vomit, which is just any pictures, any visual inspirations they may have had for their script while writing it or things that they personally are drawn to for that particular script to then work from that. So it is all about bringing the director's vision to life. But I also like to emphasize that it's a collaboration. I think many times on uh, small projects, big projects, there's a disconnect between the director and the production designer on how to best utilize and or work with your production designer. Uh, So there tends to be, in my experience, there tends to be this idea uh, that directors can sometimes have where they think that because the designer is there to bring their vision to life, that the way they work best is being told what to bring to the set and what to buy and what to get. And essentially that makes the designer feel like they're just a shopper. Does that make sense? That's not collaborating with a with an artist, with another artist. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially with talking to other people who are in creative fields. To me, it really has been boiling down to these two types of creative work. The one is, you know, there might be a musician who's writing music for a solo guitar, and he's the one who's going to perform it. He's the one who's composing the music, right? And then, or there might be an author who's writing a book, and they might hire an editor and a cover designer, but at the end, it's pretty much their vision. But then you have these really big productions, whether it be a play, a film, a video game. And these things, they they can't even function unless there's sometimes hundreds of people working on it. And to me, it sounds like everyone's happiest if they're in that setting, if there is a lot of collaboration. Because what you don't want is one person just pretending like they're everyone's making their book, right? It's what's really happening is everyone's collaborating to making a huge project that's much bigger than themselves. So you might have a director who's kind of leaning it all together, but it sounds to me like most people enjoy working with a director who gives them a little bit of creative vision themselves. And hopefully that all comes together. And if the director is giving everyone their own agency, 
you're able to create really good things together. Yes, you said it so well. The collaboration is is huge. I studied production design and even looking at schools in college, I was looking for colleges that offered the word collaboration when talking about the film department because there's actually like so much of the industry and of, I mean, again, teaching the industry, they use the word like competitive, you know, it was more competitive than collaboration. And I think even, you know, in the industry too, there's this hierarchy in the film industry, which makes sense. Uh, You have above the line and below the line. So above the line are the, you know, writers, directors, producers, some actors, uh, and then you have, you know, everyone else below the line. And I feel like sometimes these below the line tradesmen, essentially, are just seen as, you know, you're there, uh, we hire you to work for us. And I really love a director and a team that choose to, you know, we work together, you work with us instead of, you know, for us. Yeah, because even if there is, because there's hierarchies and everything, right? So, So if there is the hierarchy in the filmmaking part of it, what you would hope to have is a leader who treats you like a person, you know, not like, oh, you're the person who holds the thing from you. Like, like I imagine you have the same situation as when you're in charge of all of the production design or all the costume design you have, you might be in situations where you're having people who are quote unquote under you, but it sounds like you would value making them feel as much of a participant in the overall picture as they can be and not like your lowly servant or something like that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I feel like the industry does breed this because of the hierarchy and because I just, I, again, like the competitiveness and the like cutthroatness of the industry, uh, which is there. I mean, this is a job that is a hand to mouth job, a freelance job, even working on a TV show, which is the most stable, but I'd say stable with with air quotes, you know, job. It's still completely freelance. Uh, you're an independent contractor, uh, whether you're in the union or not. So yeah, uh, I think the dream and, and what I've been saying since I've been studying film, which was like 14 years ago, was I always wanted to approach filmmaking from a truthful, honest, collaborative, loyal standpoint. And I've always had teachers, professors who like worked in the industry and people, uh, you know, who are were older than me and everyone would always kind of laugh and be like, oh yeah, right. Like, good luck with that. But it's so important. And I do think it can exist. It's rare but when you do work with people, uh, I worked with a director once, eight hour. I was a production designer for this project. It was a short film, but we shot for eight hours one day. And he was like, you know what? We got all the stuff we needed. We can go now. He said, Happy Crew is a good movie. <laughs> so I was like, I could not have agreed more. And I wish that the industry was more like that. Because, you know, we all want to, yes, it's like fun what we do, 
and you are playing make-believe and creating magic and that's why we all still do what we do in the film industry but specifically production design you are the first in and the last ones out because you have to you know you set up everything before camera and actors can even get there and you have to you know wrap out after we're done shooting but you have to have camera and lights clear first before you can you know remove the carpet and the walls you know it's an extremely long day for anyone who is a production designer and or is uh, in the art department at least costume you can sometimes leave when the actors are done you know which is nice (laughs) Uh, and you get the heated rooms and things like that often production design and art department are working in places without ac sometimes when it's really cold or i don't know just things that you wouldn't think about because it is the thankless craft invisible art sometimes even production forgets that you're people that need to eat (laughs) Because the set is getting built, even though you're not there, there are people behind that. And again, being a production designer, it's your, you're a leader for your crew. So your crew, you know, set decorators, prop masters, set dressers, art PAs, uh, all these uh, construction and sometimes electrical to install lights and things. You're speaking for them. So I just believe it's nice to feel in control of those, you know, crazy settings and locations as the production designer. I have an ability to talk with production and say, you know, we need food on our build day and we need, you know, trucks for this and I don't, you know, things for that. And whereas if you're working in a lower position in the art department, you don't have that ability to speak up for yourself. That part is why I mostly do production design and don't, because there is this way that people say you can work up to being a production designer. And I've definitely had people say to me, you know, you're so young, like why? Also, I look younger than I am. So that's a constant thing I'm fighting against in this industry. (laughs) Being 32 this year, uh, I still get asked if I'm like 19. So uh, that... (laughs) It can be challenging, uh, especially as a woman trying to lead, you know, these big, sometimes huge crews of construction workers and painters. I I worked with a painter who was at least in his 50s and everyone was like, oh, he's so, you know, he's kind of crabby and he worked for he painted, you know, Disney things and big things and, and, you know, be careful. And I was like, he said he loved working with me and he was great. I loved him. I think it's just, we had, he wanted to be respected just like I wanted to be respected. So uh, I think as long as you have like a mutual respect, anything is possible. I think so much of that happens in life in general, where someone gets talked about or you know something might bad might have happened in the past with some sort of individual but then people kind of put that tag on them and it just perpetuates and if someone doesn't give that person a chance then you know every situation with them is going to be like this crabby you know negative situation but if you give someone a chance and you treat it as a new moment then 
I think you offer something really valuable, not only to yourself and the individual, but the project that you're working on as well. Oh, yes, completely. Yeah. If you just ask, what can, what can I do for you? You know, how can I help make this better or go better? Or I think, you know, asking the right questions and, and listening, you know, like really listening and hearing the people you work with and the people above you, below you, whoever, the, that's the most, uh, the best thing to do, especially when, I don't know, people compare, you know, on set to like war, you know, you only have so much time and so much money and so many resources and it has to happen now and yesterday and it can get really crazy on set. Um, and it makes it the best thing if you just have someone who's willing to listen and ask questions instead of, you know, accuse. And most people, a lot of people think because art is something they can look at, you know, whereas I have so many friends that are location sound. Um, that's also something people tend to, you know, overlook on set because they can't necessarily hear the recording all the time or, you know, it sounds kind of seen as the the background uh, too. So we tend to chat about that a lot. But people then tend to think that they can do your job better in the art department because sound, you can't, you can't see sound, but people can see the walls or see a, a painting or see the set decoration, you know, anything that the actor's not touching, you know, it can be just anything, any, anything, <laughs> anything the actor's not touching uh, and look at it and go, you know, Ooh, I bet we could do this or I bet we should do that. But it's like, you wouldn't, you know, say to your doctor, you know what I think you should do. I think you should do this, you know, <laughs> to me. So I, I just think when you have trust and you have, um, you know, open communication, then it just can run much smoothly, much, much smoother. Uh, it's, it's a toxic work environment. I've literally had, you know, directors throw chairs at my head. I've had them scream at me. I've had people clap over me. I've literally had someone in an interview tell me, you need me, you need this. Uh, you never need, if it, it, walk away. Like <laughs> You have the power to say no, always. A lot of this is interesting too, because in so many different artistic endeavors, there's, you know, the kind of true art of it where it's like that's the thing that I'm doing but then there's also all of these layers behind it where it's just like either what if it's the politics of the situation or just the nitty-gritty things that you have to do like if it's writing it's this process of editing or getting beta readers and doing all these things that at the end of the day people don't just appreciate all kind of the crap that you go through like like people don't watch the end product and be like wow I'm really glad that Courtney like was nice was kind to that person on set or you know like they don't oh, yeah, know no, they don't no. know they just see that end product right and and of course that you're not getting into the industry because you're like, yeah, I like, this will be a great way to develop my people skills. Like, like you're getting into it because you like the art of it. Right. Um, and so I guess, I guess with all these things going on, like when it comes time to do the actual creative part of the job, 
how do you set aside all of these other things that are going on in order to focus on your work? Or is it something that you are just constantly having to balance? It's choosing your battles. You know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, what's something that you're going to fight for or fight against? I mean, I will say what I love about production in general and and set, honestly, is there's an end, you know, there's a beginning and there's an end. Unlike a lot of my editor friends or my post friends, you know, they can go on and on and on and almost feel like there's no end. But also, you know, it's I like to surround myself with as many good people as I can. So as a production designer, you also hire your crew. It has helped me so many times uh, have support, surround myself with other crew members who are, you know, supportive and kind and can kind of build you up when you're falling. Because I do think that there's a tendency for people to also throw people under buses or scapegoats, which happens also. So it's nice to, you know, you can choose who you let into your world and who you don't. So it is important for me to surround myself with like-minded people that, you know, see the world similarly, have similar visual interests, or maybe are just very nice, also workaholic people, but who care. Uh, You know, obviously, I love what I do. I do think it chose me. I don't think I chose it necessarily. Just a combination of things over the years has just led me to this specific path that, you know, at one point I did choose, like, I'm going to pursue this as a career and have never looked back since. But I've always been, like, weird girl or the black sheep of my friends and family. I don't know, always been into movies and wanting magic to be real and then doing theater in middle school. I met people through theater that were homeschooled and lived these sort of alternative lives that were auditioning for movies and working in movies and studying film. And and until then, I had no idea you could actually pursue it as a career. So that was extremely exciting. What do you think it was about that world of filmmaking that you felt like you had a home there? You know, you mentioned you that you feel like you're kind of the oddball out in a lot of these other normal situations in life, right? What kept drawing you to the stage and the screen and production and things like this? It was escape for sure. And it is a place where magic is real. And doing production design, I mean, you're coming up with ways to make words on a page live and breathe, like the physical textures and and colors and lights and giving actors a space to live in and create and directors to define and play in you're creating the actual world. Uh, And if that involves magic, you're coming up with working with special effects artists to develop the, you know, how are we going to achieve this? Like everything is a challenge Uh, when you get a script, you know, it's like, how are we going to make this work? Whether it's low budget or high budget, 
it's a challenge to explore and overcome with a team of people. And that is always feels like magic when it happens and it really happens and you can see it, you can touch it, you can look at it. And also, you know, in film, uh, I didn't come from a family of artists or filmmakers. Uh, I will say my family at the County Theater, my hometown, that included you, John, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, working there in high school uh, was just I never before felt like I was around people who I learned from, you know, I mean, that much, like, I just feel like, and was inspired by, I mean, everyone there was just instantly kind of on the same page about, I don't know, hobbies and interests and like all, some of them already working in the world of film. It was just so inspiring and encouraging. I'll say the first place I felt encouraged to pursue it fully as a viable career and just who love movies. I feel like there's a uniqueness to being around people who all love something so much. And I have to say, I do think there is some kind of, on a bigger scale, some human some common human need or want to be immortalized, uh, whether that's having kids and or making art of some kind. And I do feel like it feels very, maybe looking at the actors on screen from, you know, years past, or I love history. I've always loved history. So it's always amazing to me when you can like see a movie or design a movie where you get to live that part of history it feels like you're in it and reliving it and essentially those people in those movies feel immortal do you feel that these sorts of things are what because you mentioned these are the reasons that you get into it in the first place and then going back early in our conversation you talked about so many of the difficulties that you go through on a daily basis I would imagine that you didn't expect all those things that come up to have come up are the things that got you into the industry the same ones that are inspiring you to stay even when the times get difficult? Yes and no. Yes and no. Not in the same way. Not not inspiring in the same way. I think movies always have magic. Some people in film I've heard, you know, they lose their love for it because, you know, the illusion is shattered. You see the wizard behind the curtain or something. Uh, But no, I think the more I work in it, the more I see how incredibly hard it is for movies to be made and to be completed. It's even more astounding to me when you see, you know, a just a good movie happen and exist you know because it's it's so many especially today there's so many platforms that so much content as we it's now called is created uh, on and for but it still is amazing how many stories like scripts and short films that don't become features or there's so much there's astronomical amount of content that's never seen it's just amazing to me when something is made and is good and is seen by a lot of people. But I do think with all the hardships, 
I have experienced over the years, it's a sacrifice. You know, I think any art or craft is a sacrifice. And I don't think it's till you are doing it that you realize how much a sacrifice it is. I'm going to go back to that, but I'm first going to mention a reason that does keep me going. So my my nanny, uh, I never really knew her, but I'm always told I'm very much like her. She was artistic and creative, um, a dancer, a performer, an illustrator, um, a skilled seamstress. Uh, she knew how to knit and crochet. But she was one of seven children during the Depression, and her father was a photographer in Philadelphia. There was just no financial ability for her to pursue her love of the arts. So ever since I was like young, I would always think I kind of knew that that's a reason why I wanted to pursue that, because she never got the chance to. So that that does keep me going a lot, because I do think... It's such a hard thing, and when we talk about sacrifice and huge sacrifices to pursue, whether it's, you know, production design, I guess in production design and films case, I'm not from Los Angeles. I don't have any family in Los Angeles, which I'm now realizing, uh, well, I have over the last few years, you know, it truly helps to be near family and have family help you and encourage you, but I'm sort of like the first of my family to set foot on the West Coast. And it's hard when you don't have, I don't know, that physical support there, but you know, even just the support to be like, let me get you groceries this week, you know, things like that have been really hard and challenging, as well as the actual, you know, design process. But you then also have that other layer of sacrifice, which is your life and time with your family and your friends and uh, your loved ones. And being 32, I'm having to think about children. I'm not someone who's naturally wanted to be a mom uh, or naturally drawn to that idea. I've always had bigger things on my mind, but being a 32-year-old lady, my body's telling me I need to think about it because I only have so much time. So <laughs> that's a thing I'm currently balancing. So in that sense that you say, you know, the things, the same things that still inspired me and encouraged me to do and pursue this craft that I love. And I do think I'm very, I, it sounds awful, so egotistical to say, right? We're in an industry of egos, but I do think I'm really good at it. Uh, and I think that's also been really hard for me to quit because I've had professors who worked in LA tell me, you're really good at this. Like you need to keep doing this. They've checked in with me to see how I'm doing. And I have other people in the industry, like the painter, the painter I worked with, who I respected so much, told me that he loved working with me and had never loved more like working with any other production designer before. So it's just to hear these things and also to like love what you do so much. It's just really hard to say, you know, I'll just do something else, you know, like it's, ah, it's so hard. But at the same time, the amount of time that it does take and the amount of sacrifice, um, just the, the more I I'm in it, the more you feel that sacrifice. So another thing that you mentioned to me kind of behind the scenes here was this kind of idea of eco-friendly design. Did you want to talk a little bit about that and why it's important to you and what sort of things that it's inspired you to do creatively? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. 
I've always been a green piece person. Uh, my mom has been all these things, a green thumb person. So growing up, I was always around, you know, where we grew up, there was so much nature, rivers, water, trees. I do miss all of that. And that's always a huge inspiration for me is, you know, nature, animals. But production design is a wasteful craft. Filmmaking can be extremely wasteful, as much good as it promotes and is doing. I think when you look at these sets, you know, huge, massive, grandiose scale set designs, and uh, even small budget things I've done, I've had to throw away so many things that just sit on a desk for two seconds and then, you know, because it's set decoration, which is, you know, items that the actor doesn't touch, but it's there to create mood and a feeling and tone and describe a place. And, you know, these are all very important to the process of filmmaking and telling a story, but they get thrown away. And they're often bought new because there's not a lot of time to sift through. I love a good thrift store haul. Um, I have two uncles that were antique obsessed and my whole life they took me on excursions to thrift stores and antique stores looking for antiques so love that but in film production there's not and commercial production there's not a lot of time that we're given to find or create a lot of things so or on high budget things you know if you see behind the scenes of of any number of movies directors are given options it is the production designer's job to give the director options to pick from but those options end up being waste they they get built and thrown away there's huge scale pieces of set design that are made of foam and plastic basically and oil and wood that's new and then thrown away and i mean many dumpsters of trash. Uh, also, items are bought and returned because these things that, you know, sit on a desk or go on a wall or fill. If you look at a bookshelf in a movie, there's going to be a lot of stuff on that shelf that nobody touches or uses, but it's there. And then it has to go somewhere when the project's done. Uh, there are rental houses where you can rent these items and return them fine. But a lot of films have a very specific look or tone or feel, those things need to be made or be bought new for options. Uh, I will tell you a lot of people I work with, their job all day is just returning. Same thing with costume design. There's so many costumes that are bought as options or made as options that are just thrown away. And most clothes are made of polyester, which is oil. And when you return something, it doesn't get reshelved. It usually is sent to a place that essentially becomes waste. So it's a lot of waste. So during the pandemic, when I was not working as much, I started to think more about myself as a woman in this industry and having a voice in this industry and as an artist in general. And I started thinking about you know, my own art. So I started something called Lucid Object, which is currently just an Instagram right now, where I have a space and a place that I feel safe to express myself through art, photography, collage. And I started an Etsy uh, as well to sell 
vintage and upcycled objects. Um, currently, it's just clothing because, I mean, I do have a passion for sewing and costume. That's my first love. Uh, Lucid Object is a place where I feel like I can also explore my love and pursuit of a greener world, uh, you know, in a small, even just a small way. I might not be able to have the same influence on set as an actor, but I feel like, again, maybe because it's the invisible art, but nobody is really thinking about how can we make set design more eco-friendly. So Lucid Objects, a way that I can sort of explore my love and passion for upcycling and vintage and thrifting and, I don't know, just promoting a better world. (laughs) Uh, Because I can't do that in my job. I don't necessarily have the voice or status to be able to demand more time. I do think with more time in preparation before a shoot and having producers and directors make decisions and sticking to those decisions will eliminate a lot of waste. Because I've literally had and have heard of both of these directors who see a set built, you know, you've bought the lumber, you've selected the look, you build it, they look at it, they hate it. So now it's all trash. (laughs) And you have to start over in one day. So that's not only extremely you know, wasteful for, you know, everyone's time and money, but it's also just creating trash, actual trash. What's the the phrase, right? The the haste makes waste uh, phrase that's that's popular. Ah. This is all tied to kind of what you were bringing up earlier, where kind of some of the problems on set, if people were just to take a little bit more time and to be a little more considerate of each other, a lot of these other problems could find solutions in the same, you know, let's just plan this better. Let's listen to each other. Let's communicate better and try to make a better environment, you know, a working environment and then literal environment. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. That's also why I was wanting an outlet for my own art and self-expression through Lucid Object uh, because, you know, and I I asked you about this because you're a writer And I was like, I think I want to start writing. Uh, And I think, you know, if I could in the future write and direct, uh, I now have a place, Lucid Object, that I feel could one day maybe be a production company and I could create those environments that I want to see for myself as a production designer. And Alfred Hitchcock He's a weird dude, but, you know, he started as a production designer and ended up directing. So I I believe it's possible, but truly only out of the necessity that I just feel like there's a better way to run sets and they can be small. They can be smaller. I'm definitely in a place now, you know, before moving out here, fresh out of college, you're like, I'm going to work on the biggest stuff and I want to be seen and I want to be immortal and I want to be remembered forever. And I want to get that Oscar. I'm now like, none of that's important anymore. Uh, I do feel like a lot of that uh, has gone away. And now what's more important to me is who I'm working with and do we have trust and respect and 
is this going to be something that's a good experience? Uh, and also, are they creating something, you know, this sacrifice that we're giving, is it going to mean something? Am, what am I contributing? You know, thinking more in terms of, of that rather than, you know, is this a big star I'm working for? Or is this going to propel my career to higher levels in the industry? Yeah, uh, that's no longer important, uh, at least currently for me and, and where I put my energy. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a healthy thing in general, right, to always be assessing what it is that makes you satisfied in your career, because that's how you make it sustainable, right? Like you can think that you want all these things right when you get into it and it's fresh. But then when you realize the, oh, I, I can't work 48 hour days, seven days a week for a year, because I'll pass out, you know, it's you mm -hmm. then realize that, okay, well, maybe, maybe chasing this specific part of a dream isn't actually what is sustainable and what is really meaningful to my life is this other way to look at it. And that's, it sounds like you're finding that in creating this Instagram and this future company and these ideas and just trying to play around with things to craft something that is sustainable for kind of the life that you want to live, whether that be working with specific people or working on a specific type of project. Oh, yeah, totally. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, what's the best way that people can see your work? Uh, we'll have some links in the show notes, but I think it's always best to hear straight from the guest, you know, where should people go to check out your work and, and follow you? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Courtney Johnson. My middle initial is a V for Virginia, which is actually my nanny's name, who inspires me. You can reach me at CourtneyVJohnson.com. My Instagram, Lucid Object for Art. It's it's a place for, you know, I like to think of it as like a, uh, I love Harry Potter, but you know, Luna Lovegood says something like, nothing's lost, it always turns up somewhere. And, you know, I like to give new life to objects that have otherwise been discarded, whether it's vintage or, you know, thrifted or upcycled and yeah, give new, give new life to things. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. If you enjoyed hearing about the filmmaking process, also check out episode two with cinematographer Kaylin Yatsko. And if you like the podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those two things really help the show grow. If you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's j-o-n at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.